Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. In the world of political podcasts, there are experts, there are pundits, and then there's Tom Powell. Happy Friday, and welcome to another episode of the Second Half Podcast with Tom Powell. Remember, remember, if you're listening to this, that means you made it through another week, and margaritas are in order. All right, welcome back in, folks. As the man in the intro said, this is the Second Half Podcast, and I am Tom Powell. This is the point in each episode where I typically give you a reason to go get margaritas this week, like you need a reason other than the fact that you're a grown-ass person with a job and you can go get margaritas whenever the fuck you want, but I try to give you a reason each week, and I haven't had a lot of reasons here recently. Uh... There haven't been many good developments of late. There have been some good developments. There have been some positive signs here as of late for many of the things that have been bothering me and and our household. But it seems like it's a one step forward, two step backwards kind of scenario right now. Uh, We should know a lot more over the course of the next two months as to what direction uh, 2024 is going to take for us personally and financially speaking. Financially speaking is probably the wrong way of putting it. Career-wise, the next two months are going to be a very telling two months. The next month is going to be a very telling month, but then we go on vacation and my hope is, is that there are some very positive developments that occur after we get back from vacation. So I don't have a good reason for you to go get margaritas this week, other than the fact that uh, that's what we're going to do after my son's bowling league tonight. We're going to go out and have some Mexican food, and my wife's going to have a margarita or two. Uh, And we're going to do that with uh, the parents of another uh, young bowler on the league, some friends here in town. And uh, we're going we're gonna to try and go have some Mexican food and forget that we have responsibilities and, and the shit in our lives that makes it shit. <laughs> uh, I don't even know where to begin with all of that shit, man. You know, I mean, where to begin, where to, where to, where to continue, I guess. I've, I've begun a long time ago bitching about everything from my wife's job to our trucking company and its lack of work to to everything in between. Um, but hey, there might be some positive developments on the on the on the front coming. Hopefully, and let me put it to you this way: there has to be some positive developments on the on the front 
uh, on the horizon because this is really not sustainable what we're doing right now on any front so go get yourself some margaritas we're going to i'm going to go have myself uh i don't know maybe some fajitas maybe maybe a burrito de la raqueta which is a nice shredded chicken simmered in beer served up in a burrito uh, then again, I might just go for some fucking tacos. I don't know. I know what I won't be doing. I won't be having a margarita because one margarita for me and I'm not able to drive home. I'm a smoker, not a drinker. So uh, when we go out and we have these uh, these little fiestas, my wife has the margaritas. I wait until we get home to smoke and catch up with her. And that is precisely what we're going to do tonight. So join us, if you will, virtually and uh, and enjoy your margaritas as well. All right, before we get into the news of the week, um, as always, just a reminder uh, that if you haven't done so already, please swing by my website, which is oldhippymedia.com. That's oldhippie, H-I-P-P-I-E, media.com. There you're going to find almost anything you want to know about me, including uh, a link to my other podcast, uh, Off Topic with Tom Powell, where I interview people. Um, about their lives and about things that are coming up in their lives, their life experience and things of that nature. I have had some pretty damn good guests. Let me just run through some of the guests that I've had uh, so far. I've had uh, hospice nurse Julie, uh, Joe from Unlearn 16, Franco in the Morning, uh, Choice Access Team, uh, Chicago historian Dilla, uh, I've had uh, uh, Dan Salinger from California, who you guys probably know, Joey Calico, Rolling Blue, uh, Jessica Piper from uh, Missouri, and I just wrapped up an interview with uh, V from Under the Desk News that's going to air on Tuesday of next week. On Monday of next week, I get to interview a flight director from NASA that'll air two weeks out from there and uh, got some great guests coming up guys got walter masterson coming up i have cannons fodder coming up i have the amazing d coming up and yes there should be at least there is scheduled to be uh, an episode with myself and my wife as we approach our 25th wedding anniversary in early may so that should be not only an interesting episode but probably one of the longer episodes that we'll ever put up because we're just going to ramble for a bit about 25 years of marriage, uh, four kids, two grandkids, multiple careers, people being born, people dying, people getting married, people getting divorced, you know, just everything that happens over the course of a lifetime with two people. So uh, make sure you go subscribe to that podcast. It's only available on Patreon. Uh, Patreon. And it's called Off Topic with Tom Powell. On my website, you're also going to find a link on where you can buy uh, my books. I have two self-published books available. You're going to find a link to my store. I have merch just like anybody else. Uh, My St. Patrick's Day merch is up now. Uh, You're going to find my Wednesday blog articles. I try to do a new blog every Wednesday. Uh, You're going to find uh, links on where you can follow me on all the various social media sites. Links to other podcasts I've appeared on links to news articles I've been in, links on how to contact me, and more. Once again, that's uh, all available at oldhippymedia.com. 
That's oldhippie, media.com. We are almost to the end of the football season. Uh, we have but one game left. That would be the Super Bowl. And then the football segment ends until August, which would make my wife very happy. Last week, during the uh, conference championship games, I went one and one. I picked the Ravens to win, and the Chiefs showed uh, the world that they just are not done yet by beating the Ravens and advancing to yet another Super Bowl. And I picked the 49ers to win, even though I wanted to li- the Lions to win. And the Lions looked like they were going to win that game, but the 49ers pulled that one out. So, now we're down to two. The San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. Ironically enough, just hear me out here. Everything is set up the same as 2020. And that's scaring a lot of fucking people. In 2020, it was a leap year. 2024 is a leap year. In 2020, the Super Bowl was the Kansas City Chiefs against the San Francisco 49ers. In 2024, it's the Kansas City Chiefs against the San Francisco 49ers. In 2020, the presidential election was between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. In 2024, it is most likely going to be Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. The one big difference, of course, was the added factor of COVID in 2020. So everybody's kind of sitting around going, well, it's only the beginning of February. What the fuck's going to happen in 2024? That's going to be this year's equivalent to COVID. And God, I hope there isn't something on the horizon that's the equivalent to COVID. I can't take much fucking more of this shit. Uh, Ironically enough, 2020 was also the last year my wife and I went to Jamaica. And we are going back to Jamaica in just a few weeks. So there are a lot of parallels between what's happening right now and what happened in 2020. Let's hope that the parallels don't turn out to be as bad as they were in 2020. Anyway, on to the game. 49ers versus Chiefs. I don't really care for either of these teams. It's not that I hate either of these teams. It's just that they're not my team. Uh, they're not my teams, and I hold grudges against people tremendously. Uh, so what I would like to see happen in this game is for the Chiefs to just be blown the fuck out. Um, I, it's petty on my part, but there are people that I really don't like who are Kansas City Chiefs fans, and I'd like to see the Chiefs lose. Having said that, until someone beats the Chiefs, I, I think you have to pick them. So, my official Super Bowl pick is that the Kansas uh, is that the Kansas City Chiefs will beat the San Francisco 49ers to win yet another title. Now, if the 49ers win, aces, I, I wind up being happy. If the Chiefs win, even though I don't want them to win, I still wind up being happy because it'll piss off the MAGA world because that means that uh, they're going to show a lot of Taylor Swift during the Super Bowl and in the postgame. And that's just going to make their fucking heads explode. So, I guess either way you look at it, I win. So, I guess we'll just hope for a good game, right? Anyway, moving on from football. Uh, Today is February 2nd, which means it is Groundhog's Day. 
And I can tell you that only in America do we take weather advice from a fucking rodent. Most people these days associate the term Groundhog Day with the uh, Groundhog's Day, my apologies, with the Bill Murray movie of the same name where everything keeps repeating itself over and over and over and over again. Uh, Great movie. uh, Funny movie. Um, But we still have a weather prediction from a rodent to to get to. And uh, that weather prediction is as follows. The Groundhog... Puxatawney Phil did not see his shadow, so we are supposedly having an early spring. I think we should celebrate such news by having Groundhog for dinner. Just a thought. Take that for what it's worth. Okay, moving on. Today is February 2nd, which means it's Groundhog's Day. And I can tell you that only in America do we take weather advice from rodents. Most people these days associate the term Groundhog's Day with the Bill Murray movie of the same name where everything keeps repeating itself over and over and over again. It's a great movie. It's a funny movie. And hopefully you guys saw what I just did there. By repeating that as if it were Groundhog's Day. I'm just fucking with you guys. (laughs) I wanted to see how many people were sitting in their cars or... Or I'm wondering how many people are sitting in their cars or their home offices or at the office going, did this motherfucker just repeat everything? Yeah, I did. It's a play on the Bill Murray movie. Get over it. Now we're actually going to move on to some other news. Got a couple of news stories to get to before we get to the political news, which is what we typically talk about on this podcast. So let's start with the fact that we might be seeing the end of the DNA site 23andMe, at least as it is currently constituted. I'm going to read to you now a short little uh, article from LinkedIn. 23andMe is facing a test for its own survival amid growing challenges. Once valued at $6 billion, the DNA testing company is now virtually worthless. 23andMe stock, which is trading below a dollar, could be delisted by NASDAQ, says the Wall Street Journal, as the company tries to turn a profit, something it has never done. 23andMe had a massive data breach last year, raising privacy concerns and triggering a class action lawsuit. But CEO Anne Wojcicki, however the fuck you pronounce that, CEO Anne Wojcicki remains focused on transforming the company into a healthcare giant offering drugs, medical care, and personalized health reports through subscriptions. Now, for those of you who follow me on social media, you will remember that 23andMe is the site through which I found that I had a daughter that I did not know existed. Uh, A daughter that was in her early 30s, married with two kids. And uh, I can't help but wonder if we didn't break the 23andMe site. (laughs) I know we didn't, but... Uh, it's the first thing I texted uh, the the family group text, and I was like, "Did we break this site?" And then our daughter Ashley, who's the one that we discovered through the Twenty Three and Me site, texted back and said, Ha-ha, "I made the family right in before the deadline, before they broke uh, the, the the website broke down." It, it's listen, it's a it's a wonderful thing that Twenty Three and Me has done to be able to help people uh, learn their genealogy and connect people with others 
uh, in their bloodline that they didn't know existed and and it's done a wonderful thing for us in that it's given us another another daughter a son-in-law and and two grandchildren that are now a part of our family i mean period end of story there are it's no you know people go that's your bonus daughter that's awesome no no she's not a bonus daughter she's a daughter she's our daughter and those are our grandkids and he's our son-in-law and we love them all very much. And it has, it, the site and its services has sort of completed our family, so to speak. And so I hate to see them uh, go through these, uh, these rough times, but it looks like 23andMe is possibly on its way out the fucking door. So uh, don't be going and buying any 23andMe kits just yet. And you might want to wait and see whether or not they're actually going to be a thing before you, uh, you go spend your money and try and get your DNA results. It worked for us. I love it. I love what it did for our family, but they are facing some rough times. Now, I want to talk to you about another article from LinkedIn, uh, a short little article here from LinkedIn about dry January and how it has boosted cannabis sales in America. Dry January may be the alcohol industry's loss, but it is quickly becoming the marijuana industry's gain, according to Bloomberg. Nearly a third of Americans under the age of 25 who abstain from drinking alcohol in January still use cannabis products, research shows. Amid the younger set's growing aversion to alcohol, booze sales tumbled by a record 52% in the first week of the new year, with marijuana marketers swooping in, uh, advertising new products. Revenue at cannabis giants, including Cureleaf and Green Thumb, are set to rise by roughly 6% on average in the first quarter of the year. And I think that this is actually indicative of a mindset in this country overall that people are like, yeah, marijuana is not the evil uh, product that they say it has been. Marijuana is not the addictive drug that they say it has been, and I'd rather be high than drunk. And we're seeing a shift in mentality in this country uh, towards cannabis and away from from alcohol uh, by the younger crowd. I think that my... By the time my son's generation gets to that point where they're the adults, they're the ones in the workforce, they're the ones owning companies, they're the ones running for office, so forth and so on, marijuana consumption is going to be every bit as widely accepted as alcohol consumption is, and you're going to see marijuana commercials on TV like you do alcohol, like you do beer commercials, and you're going to see uh, uh, alcohol companies trying to get into the marijuana game, in my opinion, uh, because I think that mar- alcohol sales are going to continue to lag as the years go on, while marijuana sales continue to boost as the years go on. I think that we are seeing a massive shift in thinking in the United States of America when it comes to this particular subject. Now, on to some political and financial news just the stuff we typically cover here and we start off with u.s jobs growth surging in the month of january i'm going to read to you now from reuters u.s job growth accelerated in january likely as a resilient economy and strong worker productivity encouraged businesses to hire and retain more employees 
a trend that could shield the economy from a recession this year. Non-farm payroll increased by 353,000 jobs last month, according to the Labor Department's Bureau of Labor Statistics. Data for December was revised higher to show 333,000 jobs added instead of the 216,000 as previously reported. Economists polled by Reuters had forecast payroll increases of $180,000. Estimates ranged from 120 to 290,000. Employment gains uh, gains remain well above the roughly 100,000 jobs per month needed to keep up with growth in the working age population. Nonetheless, Labor market momentum has slowed from the robust pace in 2022 because of hefty interest rate hikes from the Federal Reserve. Still, job gains are more than sufficient to sustain the economy through the strong consumer spending. Average hourly earnings increased 0.6% last month after rising 0.4% in December. In the 12 months through January, wages increased 4.5% after advancing 4.3% in the prior month. Annual wage growth is well above its pre-pandemic averages, and the 3% to 3.5% range that most policymakers view as consistent with the U.S. Central Bank's 2% inflation target, supporting views that March is probably too early for the Fed to start cutting interest rates just yet. The unemployment rate was at 3.7% in January. January's unemployment rate is not directly comparable to December's 3.7% rate. New population estimates were incorporated into the household survey from which the unemployment rate is derived. So what does all of that mean? Well, it means that the economy is booming. The stock market is surging up. Jobs are being added at double the pace that people thought they were being added at and three times the pace that is needed to be added in order to keep up with growth. Wages are rising. Consumer confidence is up. We're, we're, we're staying ahead of inflation. Unemployment is, a, once again, it's 60, 70-year lows. And all we're doing now is waiting for the uh, Fed to cut some interest rates to boost the, uh, the purchasing of things like houses and cars and other bank loans to do other projects around your house and for your company. We are in, no matter what the MAGAs on TikTok would have you believe, solid economic times, folks. Solid economic times. We are surging as an economy. Go to my website, oldhippymedia.com, and check out my blog uh, from this week about the economy and how the Republicans can no longer run on the economy which is why you are seeing a massive shift in the narrative as we head into this election season away from the economy and back towards things like the border because they cannot convince you that you are uh, doing financially uh, uh, badly because the economy is surging. They cannot convince you that your own pocketbook is deceiving your eyes, so they have to scare you. They have to scare you about brown people. They have to scare you about gay people. They have to scare you about trans people. And they have to scare you about immigrants in general and women who have thoughts because they cannot sell you on a bad economy anymore. And that's what we keep seeing over and over. Three, over 300,000 jobs added in January, folks. That's nuts. And we keep going at this pace under Biden. And I'm telling you, 
The economy is what's going to help get this guy reelected. I know people are out there thinking that the economy is what's going to get him uh, uh, voted out of office. It's the economy that's going to keep him in office. That and the fact that the Republicans are absolutely batshit crazy and they're going to nominate the lord of the batshit crazy folks to be their nominee yet again in 2024. Now, just to show you how batshit crazy the Republicans are, let me read to you a a news story from Microsoft News about uh, how batshit crazy the new head of the Arizona GOP is. Listen to this shit, folks. The newly elected Arizona Republican Party chair, Gina Swoboda, proudly told longtime Donald Trump ally Steve Bannon on his War Room podcast that the former president personally urged her to run for the position and vowed to continue pushing lawsuits on his behalf to restrict access to voting in Arizona. Quote, How can the Arizona GOP be dead broke in an election year with nine months to go? Asked Bannon. There are... Uh, They are, acknowledged Swoboda, saying that financial statements haven't been filed in the party for a year. Quote, on the election side, we have to litigate, we have to litigate now, we have a lot of lawsuits going on, we have to get rid of the unmanned drop boxes, that judgment is imminent. I don't think the courts in Arizona have exactly cut our way, said Bannon. Swoboda responded that they uh, had secured two voting restriction wins, in Yavapi County and said that the GOP legislator would soon be stripping certain powers from Democratic Secretary of State Adrian Fontes, whom Bannon blasted as a cartel lawyer. Here's where we start getting off the rails, folks. In response to Bannon asking her how she would handle tough issues like improving the GOP's fundraising and uniting warring factions, she said, I'm not making this up. You can go look this shit up for yourself. She said, quote, I'm Wonder Woman. I'm fueled by God. The president, I have to say, I'm wearing the armor of God. I think that the reason that God made me my nerdly election... Excuse me. I have a little bit of a frog in my throat. Let me go back here and, and start that over again. I'm Wonder Woman. I'm fueled by God. The president... I have to say, I'm wearing the armor of God. I think that the reason the God made me my nerdly election self is for this time. She's wearing the armor of God. She's fueled by God and she's Wonder Woman. No, you're batshit crazy is what you are. You know, it's it's amazing to me that these folks believe that God who apparently slept through the Holocaust, who apparently slept through 400 years of slavery, who apparently slept through Japanese internment camps, who sleeps through children dying in Africa at an astronomical rate, who, 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 who sleeps through all of these things, gives a shit who's leading the Arizona GOP. I mean, just think about how fucking crazy that actually is. But that's the modern-day GOP. They all believe that they are anointed by God to do God's work. When in actuality, the truth is you were just voted in by batshit crazy Republicans who have no fucking clue what the hell they're talking about. God has nothing to do with it, sweetie. An uh, An unintelligent voting base 
is what got you to where you are. Maybe Swoboda needs some of the free-flowing drugs that were being handed out at the Trump White House, seemingly to everyone. Before I read this story, I just want to mention that free-flowing drugs, as it turns out, was the name of my Iron Butterfly cover band in 1989. Now, on to the story. I'm going to read to you now from Reuters. The White House Medical Unit during the Trump administration provided prescription drugs, drugs, including controlled substances, to ineligible staff and spent tens of thousands of dollars more on brand name drugs than what generic equivalents would have cost, a Pentagon report shows. The unit, part of the White House military office, did not comply with federal government and Department of Defense guidelines. Ineligible staffers received free specialty care and surgery at military medical facilities and were provided with prescription drugs, including controlled substances, in violation of federal law, the report also found. Quote, the White House Medical Unit's pharmaceutical management practices ineffectively used DOD funds by obtaining brand name medications instead of generic equivalents that increased the risk for the diversion of controlled substances, it said. The unit lacked effective controls to ensure compliance with safety standards, was not subject to oversight by military health system leaders, and increased the risk to patient health and safety, the report said. The unit spent $46,500 from 2017 to 2019 on 8,900 uh, unit doses of Ambien, a brand name sleeping medication, which is 174 times more and $270, the generic equivalent, would have cost for the same amount of doses. It spent $98,000 on 4,180 units, uh, unit doses of Provigil, a brand name stimulant, 55 times more than the $1,800 the generic equivalent would have cost. Both drugs were dispersed without verifying patients' identities. Opioids and sleeping medications were not properly accounted for and were tracked using error-filled or unreadable handwritten records, the report says. The report presents the findings of the Pentagon's Office of the Inspector General, which investigated the unit from September 2019 through February 2020 after receiving a complaint in 2018. It spans 2009 to 2018 and thus covers the presidential administrations of both Barack Obama and Donald Trump, but most of its findings focus on 2017 through 2019 when Trump was president. In response to the report's findings, the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Health Services, Lester Martinez-Lopez, sent a memo to the Inspector General concurring with all of its recommendations. So, as we can see with the Trump world, every accusation is a confession. Everything they say about Democrats is actually projection of what they do themselves. And remember when there was a little cocaine found in the White House while Biden was in office? And they were like, look, they're just drugs all over the White House. Everybody's doing drugs. Everybody can get drugs. Nobody's paying attention. Well, look what we have now. Free-flowing drugs. We're spending 55 times more, or were, spending 55 times more on drugs and just handing them out to fucking anybody. Yep, that tracks. Every confession, every accusation is a confession, folks. Keep that in mind when it comes to Megan. Every accusation is a confession. Now, we need to move on to a Democratic member of Congress that is under investigation. 
The DOJ is investigating Democratic member of Congress Cory Bush. I'm going to read to you now from the Missouri Independent. The U.S. Department of Justice is investigating how Missouri Democratic Representative Cory Bush spends campaign funds, according to a statement the Congresswoman released on Tuesday. Since before I was sworn into office, I have endured relentless threats to my physical safety and life, Bush said. As a rank-and-file member of Congress, I am not entitled to personal protection by the House and instead have used campaign funds as permissible to retain security services. I have not used any federal tax dollars for personal security, Bush added. Any reporting that I have used federal funds for personal security is simply false, she would add. The Justice Department declined to comment uh, when reached out to by uh, the Missouri Independent for comment. Punchbowl News first reported the investigation Tuesday morning, less than a day after the U.S. House clerk read a statement on the floor that the Justice Department had served the Sergeant-at-Arms with a grand jury subpoena for documents. The statement did not disclose the nature of the documents or the name of the member of Congress associated with them. Punchbowl reported that several unnamed sources said the investigation related to how Bush used her member representation allowance, an account that members of Congress used to pay for office expenses. The funding for an MRA comes from taxpayer dollars and is approved annually in a legislative branch appropriations bill, whereas campaign spending comes from donations political supporters make to individual candidates. Bush, who was sworn in as a member of Congress in 2021, uh, represents Missouri's 1st Congressional District, which currently includes St. Louis and most of northern St. Louis County. Bush said in her written statement that she was fully cooperating with the Justice Department's investigation, as well as the FEC and U.S. House House Committee on Ethics, both of which are reviewing the matter. The allegations stem from right-wing organizations, according to Bush. Quote, in particular, the nature of these allegations have been around my husband's role on the campaign, Bush said. In accordance with all applicable rules, I retain my husband as part of my security team to provide security services because he has uh, has had extensive experience in this area and is able to provide the necessary services at or below fair market va- uh, rate. Bush said that the allegations uh, made against her are frivolous and intended to distract uh, her from her work in Congress. I am under no illusion that these right-wing organizations will stop politicizing uh, uh, and pursuing efforts to attack me and the work of the people of St. Louis uh, who sent me to Congress to do. The work, sorry, the work that the people of St. Louis sent me to Congress to do, to lead boldly, to legislate change my constituents can feel, and to save lives. I don't know if she's guilty or not, but as somebody who is a Democrat that rails away against Republicans whenever they do shit like this, I say that this investigation is needed. If there is an accusation that funds were used improperly, then it needs to be investigated. And if she is found to have done something wrong, I don't give a shit that she's a Democrat. I don't give a shit that she's on my side of the political aisle. She needs to be held accountable. We need to make sure that everybody plays by the same rules, and we need to make sure that all of these fuckers in Congress, Republican, Democrat, or Independent, understand that they are not above the fucking law. Period. End of discussion. Investigator, if she is found to have done something wrong, indicter, Try her, convict her, and hold her ass accountable. Now, that is something you are never going to hear out of the other side. You're never going to hear them say that. 
And I'm here to tell you that I don't give a shit who it is on my side, from Cory Bush in Missouri all the way up to Joe Biden in the White House. If they have uh, found, been found to have done something wrong, then fucking charge them. I think that our, we need to start sending messages to our elected officials that they are not above the law. And the way we can do that is we start by cleaning up our own house first. Now, speaking of not being above the law, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to this. I'm sure you have. But Trump has been ordered to pay E. Jean Carroll an additional $83.3 million. Only the self-proclaimed greatest businessman in history could take a $5 million judgment and turn it into an $89 million judgment. Oh, this guy is a fucking class act, isn't he? I'm going to read you now from CNBC. A federal jury on Friday said Donald Trump must pay E. Jean Carroll a total of $83.3 million in damages for defaming her in statements he made as president after the writer said he had raped her in a New York department store in the 1990s. The massive civil verdict, which comes on top of the $5 million sexual abuse and defamation verdict that Carroll won against Trump last year, was delivered less than three months after the nine-member jury began deliberating in U.S. District Court in Manhattan. Trump was not in court for the reading of the unanimous verdict on compensatory and punitive damages by the anonymous jury at 4.40 p.m. Eastern Time. But shortly afterward, he said in a social media post that he would appeal it. This is a great victory for every woman who stands up when she's been knocked down and a huge defeat for every bully who has tried to keep a woman down, Carol said in a statement. Her attorney, Roberta Kaplan, said, Today's verdict proves that the law applies to everyone in our country, even the rich, even the famous, even former presidents. There is a way to stand up to someone like Donald Trump who cares more about wealth, fame, and power than respecting the law. She would have gone on to say. Jurors awarded Carol $7.3 million in compensatory damages for emotional harm and an additional $11 million in compensatory damages for harm to her reputation. Compensatory damages are awarded for actual losses suffered by someone. They awarded her an additional $65 million in punitive damages after finding that Trump, in a June 21, 2019 statement about Carol, had, quote, acted maliciously out of hatred ill will or spite, vindictively or out of wanton, reckless, or willful disregard of Miss Carroll's rights, end quote. Trump, in those comments and others uh, since then, has denied ever meeting Carroll, suggesting she made her claim to sell a book and said she was not his type. Punitive damage, which, let's just pause for a second right there, not his type. So, this is the part that everybody keeps overlooking whenever Trump goes, no, nah, he's not, she's not even my type. Why would I rape her? So are you saying that you would rape her if she was your type? Is that what you're saying? Not to mention the fact that when you see pictures of Trump back then with E. Jean Carroll, because these pictures do exist, you see E. Jean Carroll looks exactly like his wife at the time. So are you telling us that your wife wasn't your type? Because they looked identical in the 90s. Identical. (sighs) Anyway, punitive damages are meant to punish wrongdoing by a defendant. Earlier Friday, Carol's lawyer in her closing argument had urged jurors to award her a very large amount of money to make the billionaire former president stop slandering her. 
He doesn't care about the law or truth, but does care about money, and your decision on punitive damages is the only hope that he stops, Kaplan said. How much will it take to make him stop? You cost him lots and lots of money, she said. Trump in a social media post on Truth Social on his Truth Social site after this uh, verdict wrote, "Absolutely ridiculous. I fully disagree with both verdicts, and I will be appealing this while this whole Biden-directed witch hunt focused on me and the Republican Party." Wrote Trump, uh, "No, it's not about the Republican Party, you numbnuts. It's about you and what a piece of shit you are." He went on to say, our legal system is out of control and being used as a political weapon. They have taken away all First Amendment rights. This is not America. Oddly enough, he's bitching about having his First Amendment rights taking away from being taken away from him while exercising his First Amendment rights. <laughs> you can't make it up, folks. I mean, you literally can't make it up. Trump, so far, has not received much help from appeals courts in challenging the two separate lawsuits by Carroll before they went to trial. But it is possible that an appeal uh, of the verdicts, that on appeal of the verdicts, he could at least win a reduction in the amount of money he owes her. Last month, the Second uh, Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals rejected Trump's argument that he was immune from damages in the current case because he was president at the time he defamed Carroll, which is his answer to everything. Well, I was president. That means you can't charge me for it. Anything I did while I was president, you can't charge me for. Well, that's not necessarily the case, is it? The appeals court ruled that Trump had waived the potential defense of presidential immunity for not raising it for years after Carroll first sued him in 2019. Trump last year posted $5.6 million as security while he appeals the verdict in the prior sex abuse and defamation case. Uh, case. When he appeals the current case's verdict, he will likely have to post more than $90 million in security. So while he's, he doesn't have to give that money directly to Carol until the appeals are done, he does have to cough up that money in order to appeal it. So Trump has to put up $83.3 million in order to appeal this case, just like he had to put up over $5 million to appeal the $5, the $5 million uh, verdict against him before. So he's got to go out that money in order to appeal. And if he loses the appeal, that money goes to E. Jean Carroll. If he wins the appeal, it comes back to him. Here's the problem. Usually, people use uh, like bond agents to do this. Who's putting up $83.3 million for Trump? He's got to cough up that money himself. And that is going to hurt him because it's, it means he's going to have to dip into some of those fucking donations that he keeps getting. This is really going to financially put the screws to him. Until the appeals are resolved, Carroll will not collect any money from Trump. Judge Lewis Kaplan, who is not related to Roberta, told jurors before dismissing them from court, my advice to you is that you never disclose that you were on this jury, and I won't say anything more about it. Before their deliberations began, Judge Kaplan instructed them that they had to accept the facts that Trump sexually assaulted Carroll in the mid-1990s and defamed her in 2019. What remains for you to decide, the judge said, is whether Trump acted maliciously when he made the, his two statements about Carol, you must accept our. You must accept as true the facts as I explained to you, as they have already been decided. The judge said, referring to Trump's sexual assault of Carol and his slandering of her decades later. Trump looked on during the instructions with a frown. Earlier, Trump stalked out of the courtroom after Carol's lawyer began her closing arguments, in which she urged jurors to award monetary damages. Quote large enough that it will finally make him stop, end quote. 
Trump's dramatic departure came minutes after the judge warned his lawyer, Alina Haba, that she was risking being tossed into jail before uh, summations began in the case. Quote, the record will reflect that Mr. Trump just rose and walked out of the courtroom, the judge said. Trump returned an hour later after Carol's attorney finished her summation and just before his attorney began her closing arguments. Alina Haba, by the way, appears to no longer be his lawyer as he has publicly said on Truth Social that he is interviewing lawyers to replace her, essentially. And uh, let's not forget that he also has the $370 million lawsuit from New York that he is waiting on a verdict from. Now, we were supposed to get the decision on that on Wednesday of this week. Uh, the, the, the New York is asking for $370 million and uh, a 10-year ban on doing business. So Trump's already been had his business licenses stripped. He can't do business in New York. And they want him banned from doing business in New York for a decade. The reason why the judgment is being delayed from Wednesday when we were supposed to get it to sometime next week is because the judge is deliberating or is contemplating whether or not to turn that 10-year business ban into a lifetime ban. Here's what's going to happen when that comes down. Trump is going to owe New York somewhere in the neighborhood of $400 million and never be allowed to do business in New York again. Which means this lawyer, Haba, it will have cost Trump somewhere in the neighborhood of $500 million in judgments within a few-week period. No wonder why he's looking for somebody else. No wonder why he's looking for somebody else. <sighs> Earlier I talked to you about the border. I'm going to hard transition into the border because the party that bitches the most about the border is refusing to pass a border deal that gives them most of what they want. And Senate Republicans are pissed. I'm going to read to you from CNN because it'll piss off the MAGAs. Senior Senate Republicans are furious that Donald Trump may have killed an emerging, emerging bipartisan deal over the southern border, depriving them of a key legislative achievement on a, passing, uh, on a pressing national priority and offering a preview of what's to come with Trump as their likely presidential nominee. In recent weeks, Trump has been lobbying Republicans both in private conversations and in public statements on social media to oppose the border compromise being delicately hashed out in the Senate, according to GOP sources familiar with the conversations, in part because he wants to campaign on the issue this November and doesn't want President Joe Biden to score a victory in an area where he is politically, politically vulnerable. Senate GOP leader Mitch McConnell acknowledged in a private meeting on Wednesday that Trump's animosity towards the yet-to-be-released border deal puts Republicans in a serious bind as they try to move forward on an already complex issue. For weeks, Republicans have been warning that Trump's opposition could blow up the bipartisan proposal, but the administration from McConnell, admission from McConnell was particularly striking given he has been a chief advocate of a border Ukraine package. Now, Republicans on Capitol Hill are grappling with the reality that most in the GOP are loath to do anything that is seen as potentially undermining the former president. And the prospects for a big deal being scuttled before it has even been finalized has sparked tensions and confusion in the Senate GOP as they try to figure out if and how to proceed, even as McConnell made clear during the party's lunches Thursday that he remains firmly behind the effort to strike a deal, according to the attendees. 
I think the border is a very important issue for Donald Trump. And the fact that he would communicate to Republican senators and Congress people that he doesn't want us to solve the border problem because if he wants to blame Biden for it is really appalling, said uh, GOP Senator Mitt Romney of Utah, who has been an outspoken critic of Trump. He added, but the reality is that we have a crisis at the border. The American people are suffering as a result of what's happening at the border. And someone running for president not to try... And someone running for president not to try to get the problem solved, as opposed to saying, hey, save the problem, don't solve it, let me take credit for solving it later, he would say. GOP Senator Todd Young of Indiana called any efforts to disrupt the ongoing negotiations tragic and said, I hope no one is trying to take this away from cam- for campaign purposes. I would encourage... Uh, James Lankford and other conservatives to produce a work product with which they will shortly allow conservatives like myself to review it and take heart that there are a number of us that won't be looking for third parties and assessing uh, the uh, proprietary of passing this bipartisan approval, Young said. It's an all too familiar dynamic for the Republicans who served while Trump was in office, where he could easily disrail legislation uh, action on Capitol Hill with the blast of a single tweet or stir up a new controversy that Republicans were forced to respond to. And with Trump now marching towards the presidential nomination, Republicans are once again bracing for life with him as the nominee, underscoring just how damaging Trump's comments and cam- and campaign to kill the border deal have been in the Senate. One GOP senator, on condition of background told CNN that without Trump, this deal would have been overwhelmingly supported within the conference. This proposal would have had almost unanimous Republican support if it were not for Donald Trump, the Republican senator said. GOP Senator Tom Tillis of North Carolina, who has also been involved in the talks, said he didn't know if anyone could convince Trump to not kill the deal. But he acknowledged that it would take some courage for members to be able to press ahead at this point in defiance of Trump, though Tillis argued it would ultimately be beneficial for Trump for them to pass a border security deal and help address the flow of migrants trying to enter the country. I think this is when members of the Senate have to show some courage and do something at the end of the day that will be very helpful to President Trump, Tillis said. Asked whether it was a mistake for Trump to be assailing this deal, Tillis said, I'll leave it to him to figure out how he needs to get into office. I hope you'll leave it to us. Uh, I hope you'll leave it to some of us who would support that effort to give him the tools he needs to really manage the border and the abuse of the dangerous situation that we have today. For his part, McConnell, who has had zero relationship with Trump, Trump since January 6, 2021, downplayed Trump's opposition, saying it's not anything new and insisting that they were not abandoning the talks. We're still working, McConnell said, trying to get an outcome. Senator John Thune, the number two Senate Republican, said the discussions had reached a critical moment but acknowledged that they may need to turn to a plan B. If we can get there, then we'll go to plan B, Thune said. But I think for now, at least, there are still attempts being made to try and reach a conclusion that would satisfy a lot of Republicans. Plan B? What's the plan B? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Plan A was to get the border problem solved, right? Well, there's a bipartisan deal. Senate Republicans are on board with this deal. It's being killed because Trump doesn't want a deal made because he needs to be able to run on the border. Why? Because as I told you earlier, he can't run on the economy. Trump can't run on the economy. Trump can't run on his own uh, record. Trump can't run on the accomplishments of the Republican House. The only thing he can do is scare you that brown people are coming into this country. And if the Senate Republicans work with the Senate Democrats to cut a bipartisan deal, pass a bill, and drop that deal on the, uh, the floor of the House, it will die there because Trump is going to threaten every one of those House Republicans that he's going to pull his support of them in an election year, which would mean a death sentence to their campaigns. So, President Trump, who has already said he wants, the, he wants to see the economy crash before the election, now wants to see the border not get fixed so that he can continue to run on it and hopefully take credit for it should he be elected and then get a border deal. That's what you guys are supporting? You guys are supporting somebody that bitches and moans and complains and whines about the border constantly, but then says, hey, when we got a border deal that all sides seem to be on board with, don't do it because I'm not in office and I won't get the credit for it? That, boys and girls, is the Republican standard bearer in 2024. But that's not the worst part about having Trump around. The worst part about having Trump around is the violence that rears its head over and over and over again when it comes to Trumpers and their political opposition to anything liberal. And it has once again reared its head in this country. I'm going to read to you now from HuffPost. A man has been detained by police after decapitating or after the decapitated body of his father was discovered in the bathroom of their Middleton Township, Pennsylvania home on Tuesday night, according to reports. The victim was in his 60s, reported ABC affiliate WPVI-TV. The son, 33, drove away from the home inside his father's vehicle, but was later detained by officers near Fort Indian Town Gap, around two hours and 100 miles away from the property, reported Fox 29 in Philadelphia. The identities of the father and son were not immediately confirmed by police, who are also investigating a video purportedly sharing shared by the son on YouTube. In the footage, which has since been removed from the platform, the son reportedly showed his father's severed head, claimed that his father was a longtime federal employee who is, quote, now in hell for eternity as a traitor to his country, and ranted about President Joe Biden, far-left woke mobs, and the LGBTQ plus community, per the news website LevittownNow.com. Fox 29's Chris O'Connell said on air that he'd viewed the first frames of the footage, described it as gruesome and disturbing, and would go on to say, I could only get through not even three seconds of the video before I had to turn it off. The son had been named as a person of interest in the death of his father, reported WPVI-TV. Quote, we were pretty confident that the person of interest is the person we were looking for, 
Joe Bartarilla, the chief of Middletown Township Police, told the media. Bartarilla also said that he was not going to comment on the matter uh, manner of death, but added that following the detention of his son, the neighborhood can rest easy. So this is a true story. You can look it up for yourself. This, uh, this guy, 33 years old, killed his own father, decapitated him, made a video holding his father's head while he ranted and raved about Joe Biden, woke mobs, the LGBT community, and his own father's employment with the federal government. This is what we are dealing with, folks. This is not a one-off. The violence from the far right-wing MAGA crowd in this country is not an isolated incident. It is more and more becoming the norm on that side. We had Caesar Syok, the gentleman who who mailed pipe bombs to God knows how many members of the, of Congress. We had the gentleman that broke into the Pelosi's house. We had the guy that shot up the FBI office. Uh, I, I think in what was it, Cleveland or somewhere else, maybe in Ohio or Pennsylvania. We had the January sixth insurrection. We we have instance after instance after instance of the far right wing in this country not getting their way through the electoral process so they return and they resort to violence they view themselves as modern day founding fathers who have to revolt in order to get what they want and they are a dangerous group of people a dangerous group of people this man cut his own father's head off videoed it and put it on fucking YouTube because his dad worked for the federal government and this kid deemed him a traitor. He's now in hell for eternity as a traitor to his country. You know who else chops the head off of people, heads off of people who uh, they disagree with politically and and, and socially? Al-Qaeda. ISIS extremists in the Middle East, uh, people like this 33, that, that people like uh, in the Middle East, who somebody like this 33-year-old son would rail against for being monsters. And he did the same fucking thing. Because that's what they are, folks. That's what they are. That's what they've always been. And with Trump ascending to the levels he has and accepting them for who they are, He has given them license to be this moving forward. We need to be ever vigilant of these fucking lunatics and what they're capable of. All right, folks, that's all I got for you this week. I appreciate you listening as always. Make sure you go to the website, get yourself some some St. Patrick's Day merch. Order yourself up a book. Subscribe to my other podcast. The conversation I just had with V from Under the Desk News is amazing. You're going to want to hear it next week. Don't miss out on it. And make sure you turn in, uh, tune in next week right here for another all-new episode of the Second Half Podcast with Tom Powell. As always, until then, stay grateful. <laughs>